0: This audio is brought to you by MuslimCentral.com. So uh, last week I said that we weren't going to go in any chronological order and that we would take uh, one set from uh, before the Prophet time and then we'd kind of mix it up. And um, I changed my mind. InshaAllah Ta'ala we're going to take a very heavy emphasis from the seerah uh, to start this off and we're going to really look at this from the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and focus on that for some time and then we'll go after, before and jump around. But what compelled me to this was that I kept on thinking, who do we start this series with? And I got drawn into the story of Waraqah ibn Nawfal because Waraqah is a very interesting character because Warak, was he the first Muslim, was he not a Muslim, did he accept the Prophet did he live long enough, what's the story of Waraqah before uh, those moments, did the Prophet uh, ever have a conversation with Waraqah before, all of these questions about Warak. And so I decided to go to a man that I've spoken about quite a bit within khutbahs and, and different classes and lectures, but I've never really got gotten to highlight his biography in full. And he's a companion of Warqa, and he's, he's just a remarkable figure all around, and he deserves this level of attention, and he deserves to be the first. And of course I thought about doing Khadija first, but then people would have accused me of being biased because of my daughter. So I decided that we'll do Khadija third uh, for a reason. The man is Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayr, Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayr, an absolutely remarkable figure in the history of Islam, has a story unlike any other person from the companions of the Prophet There is truly nothing like him, and he belongs to this group of people that were called uh, the hunatha or the Hanifieen. Uh, not the Hanafis. I know that the followers of the Madhab of Imam Abu Hanif would want this to be that the first Muslims were Hanafi, but it's a different type. They're Hanif, meaning they were monotheists. A group of four monotheists that decided that they wanted to follow the religion of Ibrahim salam. They wanted to follow the way of Abraham, they looked at their context in Mecca and they were deeply troubled by the paganism and the idol worship. And so they decided that something is wrong about this. And they couldn't quite figure out what, it, what the right path would be, but at least these four men decided amongst themselves that we're not going to follow the dominant pagan uh, culture in Mecca, and we're gonna look for something else. Now, they were four. They were Uthman ibn Ḥuwaidis. I'm only going to do two of them in detail. Uthman ibn Huwaidith was one of them. He became a Christian and he went to Rome and he actually took up a position amongst the Romans. So he kind of disappears from the, from the story of Islam very early on because he moved out of Mecca very early on, accepted the religion of Christianity as a result of his rejection of paganism and became you know a, a minister amongst the Romans and kind of disappears and falls off. There is Ubaidullah ibn Jahsh whose story is, uh, is very interesting because he becomes Christian as well in this context, in this climate. Then when the Prophet ﷺ, uh, brings Islam, he accepts Islam and he makes the migration to Abyssinia, the Hijra to Habasha, which is a Christian land. And then the sources seem to indicate that he became Christian again and died as a Christian. However, the narration that states that has some issues with it. So though it's prominent in literature that ubaydullah bin Jahsh left Islam and became Christian again in Abyssinia and died that way, it's not a confirmed, uh, confirmed fact because there is some issue with the narration, but that's his story. Now the two that we're really going to concern ourselves with and go into detail with are Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayd and Waraka ibn Nu'fal. Waraqa bin Nawfal, who we'll talk about in depth next week, and to be honest with you, I'm excited to talk about Waraqa bin Nawfal because I learned a lot uh, going in depth and research in his life in the last uh, week in particular. Uh, Waraqa became Christian too. But Waraqa would become a very specific type of Christian. He would become a Nestorian priest, which was the Christianity that Salman al farsi would follow. And we'll talk about that next week when we get into the story of Waraqa bin Nawfal. So out of the four Hanifs, out of the four monotheists in Mecca, three of them became Christian or joined some iteration of Christianity. Zayd ibn Amr al Nufayl is never really satisfied with Christianity or Judaism as he sees it in his time. Instead, he insists on being a follower of the way of Ibrahim alayhi salam. He's a follower of Abraham. He's not convinced by Judaism and Christianity as they exist. We're talking about before the Prophet has come along as a prophet. But he insists he's a monotheist, and he will challenge his society in very unique ways. So let's talk about this man who is an incredibly uh, remarkable man. SubhanAllah, it's hard not to fall in love with this man when you, when you study him. And uh, it's, it's only fitting that we, that we study him first in this series of the firsts, just because of how unique his story is. So his name is Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl. Uh, Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl is, the, is from the Adi clan. Banu Adi of Quraysh, so it's a, it's a higher clan. And he is the first cousin of Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. Al-Khattab ibn Nufayr. So just it's always good to connect these things from a historical perspective. There's Sa'id, there's Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayr, Umar ibn al-Khattab ibn Nufayr. Okay, Umar ibn al-Khattab ibn Nufayr. So that would make Al-Khattab the paternal uncle of Zayd. All right. So Zayd ibn Amr ibn Ufayl is the first cousin of Umar. Um, He would only have two children. One of them is Sa'id ibn Zayd, who would become one of the Ten Promised Paradise. And the other is Atika bint Zayd. Atika with a kaf, not a kaf. Atika bint Zayd. So he only has two children, one son and one daughter, and we'll get back to her as well. The Prophet ﷺ saw Zayd growing up and he was fascinated by him. The Prophet never worshipped idols. Abu Bakr never worshipped idols. But at the same time, they were not challenging idol worship in society because the Prophet had not been called to do that. He had not been called to do that. And perhaps that's the wisdom of Allah that the Prophet for 40 years would establish such credibility and he would call people to that credibility. Had he challenged them, he might face the same repercussions that Zaid would have faced at this time. So the Prophet has no calling from Allah to reject idol worship actively and publicly. But he doesn't worship idols. Abu Bakr does not worship idols Abu Bakr says, I was sitting in my room as a kid, and my father brought an idol, put him in front of me, and he said, worship him and ask him for your sustenance. Abu Bakr said, I started talking to him, I said, "Uh, what's your name? (laughs) He said, the idol didn't answer me, he said, can you do this, this, this and that? And he asked the idol a few questions. He said, this makes no sense whatsoever. You can't even help yourself. I could tip you over and you'll break. So Abu Bakr said, I'm not worshiping idols, right? Zaid, on the other hand, says idol worship is, uh, is, is, is a rejection of the way of Ibrahim alayhi salam, and Zaid will challenge his society in a very unique way. The Prophet salam, mentions him that he used to that the Prophet ﷺ remembered being in a gathering and they served food. Uh, they served meat to the people there, and the Prophet ﷺ simply passed. And then when it got to Zayd, Zayd said, Inni lastu Walla akulu ma He said, I will not eat that which was slaughtered in the name of your idols, and I will not eat except for that which was slaughtered in the name of Allah. So Zaid takes a very strong stand. Uh, in another instance, Zaid even became more emboldened in challenging them. He said to them, He said that this, this animal was provided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah created the animal. And then Allah revealed the sustenance that was necessary for the animal to be suitable for slaughter. And then you go and you sacrifice it in the name of other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's actually uh, criticizing them at this point and saying, what is wrong with you people? How do you serve this meat? How do you slaughter this meat in the name of other than Allah, dedicated to the idols? When if it was not for Allah, neither the animal nor the sustenance of the animal exists. The Prophet ﷺ even remembered a very personal instance and this is narrated by Zayd ibn al haritha One thing about the, the, the Sahaba is that when you read in, the, in their biographies, you find there were a lot of Zayd's and a lot of Fatima's. A lot of Zayd's and a lot of Fatima's that existed back then. But there was only one Muhammad ﷺ. But the names, you know, like Hind was a very common name. Uh, Zayd was a very common name, Fatima was a very common name, uh, Khadija is unique. Right, so Muhammad and Khadija are very unique names. So the Prophet ﷺ was with Zayd ibn al haritha and Zayd ibn al haritha narrates, he says that the Prophet ﷺ met Zayd ibn Amr in a place near Tan'im, which is close to Mecca. And the Prophet ﷺ was the one serving the food in the gathering. So the Messenger of Allah ﷺ is passing out the food in the gathering, so Zayd obviously likes the Prophet ﷺ as a person. He's a noble young man, and he sees some good characteristics in the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. So while the Prophet ﷺ comes to him, Zayd does not respond aggressively to him. Zayd says to him, يَبْنَ la ta'kul He says to him, O son of my brother, O oh, son of my brother, do not eat from this. It was slaughtered in the name of other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's even speaking to the Prophet and advising the Prophet don't eat from this, don't serve it, don't participate in any of this. Zayd ibn Harithah says, from that day onwards, the Prophet never ate from the meat of Quraysh or served it. So it's this is the, the 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 position that Zayd ibn Amr is taking in this society of Mecca. He's significantly older than the Prophet. Then comes again Zaid now breaking off from this group of four even to be the only one that doesn't become a Christian but at the same time obviously he's still considered amongst that group of people because their Christianity was, uh, was still one of Tawheed and so he still relates to them. He's still considered amongst the group but Zaid's insistence. Zaid would raise his hands in front of the Kaaba. And he would say, "Allahumma inni ashadu anni aladini Ibrahim." Oh Allah, I bear witness that I am on the religion of Abraham. I am on the religion of Abraham. So imagine walking around the Kaaba, and you got all the idols around. You have this one man standing in front of the Kaaba, and and he's holding his hands in du'a towards the Kaaba, and he's saying, "Oh Allah, bear witness. I bear witness that I am on the religion of Ibrahim alayhi salam." radiallahu taala anha says that when the time of Hajj would come around. Now their Hajj was a Hajj of idols, and it was a festival to where these people would make a lot of money. Hajj was their commerce, it was their money, it was their corruption, it was everything to them, right? Because that's where they got the idols prepared, and you know they, pre- they prepared the, the poetry and the festivals and everything that would take place around the Hajj at that time. And Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha says, I remember that strange sight of Zayd. Zaid, as the festival is carrying out, goes and he puts his hands on the Kaaba with his back on it. I, I really, subhanAllah, when you read these stories, imagine the sight. And he calls out to the people and he says, Ya Ma'ashara Quraysh, O Quraysh, O Assembly of Quraysh, Wallahi ma minkum ala deeni Ibrahim ghairi He said, I swear that not one of you is on the religion of Abraham except for me. Why? Because Quraysh would admit that this home was built by Ibrahim Aysam. They would say it was built by Ibrahim. They had murals inside the Kaaba of Abraham and Mary and Jesus, alayhim They had pictures of them and they had sculptures of them and idols. And they still took bra- pride in being descendants of Ibrahim, alayhis And Zayd is calling out to them and saying, No, one of you is on the religion of Ibrahim, alayhis-salam, except for me. So he did this, and what do you think people did? They treated him like he was a madman. right? People ignored him, they mocked him, they continued to go along with their way. It's not like Zayd was walking around breaking idols, or being aggressive towards them. He simply was calling out and saying, this is not the religion of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And then Asma relate, just relays this very beautiful and touching moment, where she says that Zayd uh, would make sujood towards the Kaaba. He prostrate to the Kaaba, And the whole story of Zayd is amazing because he has no revelation to guide him. He doesn't know what ruku' is, what bowing is, and what sujood, and what prostration is. But he just, subhanAllah, his intuition, he's guided towards good. There's rushd, there's guidance in his actions. He knows to make sajda, to prostrate towards the Kaaba, And she said he would start to cry. And he said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he said this du'a, she was curious, Asmat was a, was a curious young woman, she said, I heard him say, Allahumma <laughs> law anni a'lamu ahabu ilayk, O oh Allah, if only I knew which of the ways was most pleasing to you, I would worship you in accordance with that way, but I don't know, I don't know. And then he says, out of, out of an excuse to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala, أعبدك, أعبدك But I worship you like this, O Allah. So I'm gonna do sujood and hope that I'm right. <laughs> I'm gonna prostrate to you and hope that I'm right. Now what's significant is that the post-Council uh, of Nicaea Christians were not doing sujood as part, prostration was no longer a part of their prayer. So Zayd is exerting himself to think what would ibrahim alayhi salam do what was the religion of abraham what was the way of abraham what is ibrahim life about and and you know he's focused he's really honing in on he's distinguishing distinguishing himself with what his worship and his sacrifice which is a part of the ritual of worship now think about think about what's happening in mecca right now they've taken the rituals of ibrahim alayhi salam which were made for monotheism made for tawhid and they've turned all of them into pagan rituals the Kaaba was built for the worship of Allah. Tawaf was supposed to be an exclusive remembrance of God and the centering of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala as the one God. And now they put idols around the Kaaba. Ibrahim Salam, who preached modesty, now they do Tawaf with no clothes around these idols, and they sing all sorts of poetry of ignorance. The animals were supposed to be slaughtered as a means of glorifying Allah. "Say, verily, my prayer and my sacrifice." My life and my death are all for Allah, the Lord of the worlds. And now the sacrifice is being done in the name of idols, and there's all sorts of, you know, some idols are more valuable than others. So Zayd is seeing this, and Zayd is naturally exerting himself, um, uh, you know, uh, away from this. Now, as Zayd becomes more annoying, the person that would walk up to him and torture him was none other than his uncle Al-Khattab, the father of Umar First Al-Khattab started to curse him. Then he would spit at him. Then he would beat him. Then Al-Khattab would call for the other people to beat him as well. And he made Zayd's life so difficult that Zayd could no longer enter into Mecca except in secrecy. When Zayd would leave Mecca, he could only come back in, in secrecy because uh, Al-Khattab would release the sufahat He'd release the, you know, the thugs to beat on him Anytime He said if you see this man come back into Mecca I want you to beat him And I want you to teach him a lesson Because Al-Khattab was a proud man And so even though Zaid was not harming anybody But the fact that he was challenging these rituals That was the way of Al-Khattab Now you know where Umar anhu was acting out of Before he became Muslim right? You've got a problem, this is how you solve it he went to the Kaaba to kill the Prophet ﷺ the first time, right? He said, okay, I'm confused now. I'm going to go to the Kaaba and just kill him in front of the Kaaba. Because that's how his father dealt with the challenge of Tawheed. Umar anhu said, well, let me think of that way too. And even the Prophet ﷺ was amazed. And you think about what would be told to the Prophet ﷺ later on that your people will run you out. The Prophet ﷺ went up to him and asked him one day, he said, Zayd, Ya Zayd, Mali li ara قومك qad shanafu عليك? Why is it that your people hate you so much? Imagine the Prophet Sallallahu has no idea what his future holds. And he's talking to this older man who's challenging paganism all by himself and declaring the way of Ibrahim Alaihi He says, why is it that your people hate you so much? And Zayd responds and he says, Ya ibn Akhi, O oh son of my brother, it's because I have left their religion and their idols for the religion and the God of Ibrahim Alaihi and he and his 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 motto became Ilahi Ilahu Ibrahim Wadini dinu Ibrahim. My Lord is the Lord of Abraham. My religion is the religion of Abraham. People would tell him to become a Christian, become a Jew. He would not do it. He, he, you know, they took him to rabbis, they took him to priests. He won't do it. He's certainly not reverting to paganism, but he's still uh, very uh, curious, right? But at the same time. He has a love and an attachment to Ibrahim He sees it as a mission to maintain the way of Ibrahim So if you put Zayd in front of a Jew or a Christian, he would, he would hold that rabbi or that priest up to the litmus test of what he viewed as Ibrahim When he criticizes the, uh, the people, he criticizes them in the name of Ibrahim So he just has a love for Ibrahim and wants to preserve the way of Abraham, and sees that as his sacrifice. Now here's where it gets very interesting about Zaid. Asma'a radiallahu anha, she says, kana ma'uda." He used to give life to the young girls that would be buried alive. Now obviously, ma'uda الْمَوْعُودَةِ doesn't mean he raises them from the dead. What is, what is she referring to? He would stop the men from burying their daughters alive. With no guidance from the Qur'an, no, وَإِذَا bi bin qutilat. When the young girl asks... For, that was buried alive asked for what crime was I killed? Zaid abhorred this practice and he didn't just say this is not the way of Ibrahim Alayhi salam. Zaid would actually go, what can, and this is powerful language, وَكَانَ ma'uda? Asma' says he would give life to them because it's like he was saving their lives because otherwise he would have all of these girls that would be killed. So what she, what she says is that Zaid used to go out there was a particular area in Mecca, and I visited that area, subhanAllah, where they, where they actually buried the girls alive. They, would, they put out ditches, and they would bury the girls alive. And this is what Allah talks about in the Qur'an, Bushira bil untha, That when they were given the glad tidings of, of, of a girl, that they would hang their heads in shame and, 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 and sadness, and they would try to hide from the people, because they saw a girl as poverty, they saw a girl as shame. That's the level that these people had reached. And so they would take their young girls in the middle of the night and they would bury them alive. SubhanAllah, think about how nasty that crime is. And Zayd, knowing that, was disgusted by it. So Zayd would go out at the time in which they would take their girls out to bury them. And this is what he would say to them. يَقُولُ الرَّجُلِ إِذَا أَرَادَ ابنته, He would say to the person as they were taking their girls to bury them alive, he would say لا تَقْتُلْهَا Inni akfika mu'nataha. He said, Don't kill her, I will take care of her, and I'll take care of all of her expenses. So Zayd would take the young girl, he would spend on the girl, he would, he would raise the girl, and then once, this is subhanAllah, you know, this shows you the type of character the man has. Once she, she, she grew up and she became older, he would go back to the parents and he would say, In ilayk. Look, now if you want, I can, I can return her back to you. Or, in شِئْتَ كَفَيْتُكَ mu'nataha, If you want, I'll take care of marrying her off as well. So the man was raising all these young abandoned girls in Mecca. And then when they reached an age, he would, mar- he would act as their wadi He would act as their guardian. He would find them the right suitor. And then he would marry them off. SubhanAllah, like where does that come from? Where is that fitrah from? How is the guy making sujood? Saving young girls from being uh, uh, buried alive? And subhanAllah, even, it's, it's narrated about him, uh, he never committed adultery and he never drank alcohol. And in fact, he has a saying, he said, fakr." He said, beware of committing adultery because it bears poverty in your life. So he even would say that I'm, 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 he's, opposed to, he's opposed to zina, he's opposed to adultery and fornication, He's opposed to alcohol. So basically, I mean, he's living this life in accordance with the religion that would come after him. And that was the sincerity of his pursuit of the way of Ibrahim Now, he travels the world to try to find guidance, okay? He's on the way of Ibrahim he says, I want the way of Abraham. Again, he would adopt from Christianity whatever he felt matched up to the way of Abraham. He'd adopt from Judaism, whatever he felt matched up to the way of Abraham. But he says, I am on the way of Ibrahim and him and Waraqa went to a sham together. So, sham is Greater Syria. Uh, Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, Jordan. He goes there with Waraqa. Waraqa, of course, immerses himself in, in, in the literature of, of the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and, and the Injil, the, the, the Gospel and the Torah. Uh, Waraqa immerses himself. He learns Hebrew. He gets very deep into this. And this sort of becomes his life to the point that Waraqa becomes a priest. Okay? Waraqa would become a priest. Uh, Zayd, on the other hand, uh, continues to travel, is never really satisfied with the answers that he's getting, uh, and he doesn't have the support of his family, so his uncle tortures him al-Khattab and says, don't come around, if you come around, then you'll be beaten, and he actually tells people to beat him if they see him entering into Mecca again, and his wife would, would become stressed anytime time he would say, I'm going to a sham because while the people went out to Asham for trade Zayd would go out to learn more and to try to, to try to answer these questions that were nagging at him about revelation and about the oneness of God and Ibrahim alayhis salam so his wife is trying to stop him from leaving his uncle is saying don't come back and he's torn and he's going around and um, he goes to two places that are very that are noteworthy he goes to Mosul which if you remember in Iraq, the story of, of Salman al-Farisi, Salman also went to Mosul in Iraq. So he went to Mosul to study their Christianity in Mosul, and then he went to Hashem. And when he went to Hashem, he did what Salman did, he said, take me to the most knowledgeable rahib, I want the most knowledgeable scholar amongst you. So they take him to the most knowledgeable scholar amongst you. And after Zaid has argued with rabbis and priests about religion, He comes to this man and he tells this man what he's looking for and what he wants. And this rahib says to Zayd, he says that the one that you're looking for is due to come out from the land that you left. Go back to Mecca, go back to where you come from. And this Nabi, this Prophet is there, is is going to be sent now. And subhanAllah, he tells him what was told to Salman, but the last, the last part of the journey of Salman was back in Asham, and the scholar told him, no one's on Milat Ibrahim anymore, but go back to, or he told him, go to this land, and he gave him the description, and he said that there's a prophet that will soon come out. So Zaid, this rahib tells him, listen, the one that you're waiting for, or the, the prophet that you're waiting for, is due to come out from the very same land. So Zaid gets excited, he turns back towards Mecca, He has no idea that that young man, Muhammad who he used to call Ibn Akhi, my cousin, um, you know, and and saw such noble, he had no idea that that was gonna be the one that was gonna be the prophet or the messenger, but he's making his way back uh, to Mecca so that he can await for this prophet. On his way back, he is uh, captured by highway robbers. They steal everything he has, and he's so close, he's in a land called Balqa, Very close to Mecca, very close. So he's made it out of Asham, he's getting so close and he's captured, they steal everything that he has and after they steal everything that he has they decide to kill him and cast his body to the side. SubhanAllah, think of all this. And Zaid was around the age of 85 years old at this time. (laughs) So you've spent your whole life on the way of Ibrahim السلام, trying to find the way of Ibrahim you're told finally in the same land where you were the lone voice defending monotheism that the Prophet is coming out there and then you're going back there and now you're, you're about to be killed. While Zayd was about to be killed, he made this beautiful dua, made this supplication as, as he was you know, uh, about to be uh, killed. He said Allahumma. In كُنْتَ حَرَّمْتَنِي مِنْ سُحْبَةِ نَبِيِّكِ فَلَا tahrimha min ibni سَعِيدٍ He said, Oh Allah, if you have forbidden me from the companionship of your Prophet, then do not forbid that companionship from my son, سعيد. So if I'm going to die in this pathetic way, you know, on my way back to Mecca and not find, uh, not find guidance, then I'm content with that. But do not... Let my son, Saeed, be prevented from that guidance. So Saeed, he makes dua for him. Aatika, and subhanAllah, you know, Zaid was saving other people's daughters, right? Aatika bint Zaid would go on to become the wife of five shuhada. (laughs) Sounds crazy, right? And not just any shuhada. First she was married to Zaid ibn al-Khattab. Then after Zaid ibn al-Khattab, she was married to Abdullah ibn Abi Bakr, the son of Abu Bakr as siddiq Then after Abdullah died, Umar ibn Khattab married her. Then after Umar died, Az-Zubair ibn al-Awwam married her. And then after she outlived Zubair, after Zubair died, Al-Hassan ibn Ali married her. The same woman married Zayd ibn Khattab. The son of Abu Bakr, Umar himself, Az zubair and the son of Ali, al Hassan ibn Ali. The same woman, and subhanAllah, she never had children from all five of them. So subhanAllah, the same woman would live long enough to marry five of the greatest men that would be that would be martyred. So these were all shuhada at some point, and each time, subhanAllah, actually she died before Al-Hasan uh, radiAllahu ta'ala anahu an abi. So, Zaid, you know, if, if he was one of the, 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 the people of Mecca, he would have went and buried this girl. But look what his kids become. Sa'id ibn Zaid, one of the first people to accept the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So his dua was answered that he would be at the service of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sa'eed is one of the first people to accept the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So just, you know, subhanAllah in, th- in these moments, he makes dua and he asks Allah that Saeed has the service of, that he's able to serve the Prophet sallallahu the way that he would not be able to serve the Prophet sallallahu Sa'eed, subhanAllah, as, as, as Allah's qadr would have it, Sa'eed would marry Fatima, the sister of Umar. You remember that story of Umar ibn al-Khattab going to his sister's house and beating the, the, the husband of his sister? That was Sa'id ibn Zaid. So just like al-Khattab beat Zaid for his tawheed, Umar would beat Saeed for his tawheed, the son, for his monotheism, but of course that story instead ends with Umar radiAllahu ta'ala anhu himself becoming a Muslim and, uh, and, and, and being a very close uh, confidant to uh, Saeed ibn Zaid radiAllahu ta'ala anhuma. So why do, where do we pick up with the story? What do you make of this man? <laughs> I mean what is his fate? Surely Allah would not punish this man and he died five years before the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi So he died around the year 605, five years before the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam even knew that he was going to be a prophet, that Allah would appoint him with prophethood. So it's not like Waraqah who lives sometime, it's, he died five years before, was murdered on his way back to Mecca. So Allah knows if he would have even lived, even naturally, to see the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam come out. So what do we make of this man. And this is where the narrations are just incredibly beautiful. Uh, in an authentic narration, Saeed and Umar, may Allah be pleased with them, go to the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi and they are conflicted. Sa'id wants to ask the Prophet ﷺ what happened to his father, Umar wants to know what happened to his uncle, and they're afraid of the answer. Like, is it possible that this man spent his life on monotheism? and striving for guidance, and doing all these noble acts just from his natural akhlaq, noble character, and he's in hell? I mean, what do we make of him? Can we say, رضي الله May Allah be pleased with him. Can we, can, can we make dua for him? So, Saeed starts off and he says, Ya Rasulullah, you know my father, and you know who he was. Like I don't even have to go, I don't have to make a case. O Messenger of God, you know who my father was. And they asked the Prophet, ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, an astaghfiru li zayd? They didn't ask him, is he in heaven or hell? Because it would be too painful if the Prophet ﷺ was to say he's in hell, right? That's, that would have been too hard for them to hear. So instead, they asked, can we seek forgiveness for him? An astaghfiru li zayd? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Istaghfiru lahu, seek forgiveness for him. He said, for, for by Allah, I saw on the day of judgments on the Day of Judgment as the Prophets line up with their Ummam behind them, with their nations behind them. 124,000 Prophets all line up on the Day of Judgment. Behind them are their nations. Some Prophets have one person, some have uh, 10, some have 10,000, some have 80. The Prophet wasalam, has the largest nation after him, the nation of Musa wasalam, of Moses, peace be upon him, so these large nations line up behind their prophets, right? And subhanAllah, the Prophet ﷺ said, That he will be resurrected all by himself as an ummah. The man is an ummah, he's a nation. And in an authentic narration, this is so touching because it gives you the vivid image. He says, عيسي عيسى Between me and Jesus, the son of Mary. <laughs> So while the lines of the Prophets are there, and may Allah make us amongst those standing behind Rasulullah ﷺ, Allahumma with his testimony for us. Imagine you're lining up behind the Prophet ﷺ and you're looking, and you see Jesus over there, Isa وسلم, and between the Prophet ﷺ and Isa وسلم, there's this one man standing all by himself, and he is an ummah all by himself. He is a nation all by himself, and that is Zaid ul Mu'amr Ta'ala. Anhu. And this is, uh, you know, it's incredible because, the, you know, Allah says about Ibrahim al-islam what? In Ibrahim, umma. Ibrahim was a nation in and of himself in regards to the good that he used to do. What, Ibrahim what came out of Ibrahim al was the good of an entire nation. From that one man of Abraham came a nation of good, right? And here you have Zaid who had this love for Ibrahim and the way of Ibrahim standing by himself literally as an ummah. Literally as an ummah, no prophet, he cannot be fit in any other way. He can't be fit in any other way except as a nation in and of itself. There is more to this. And it gets more beautiful as you dive into these narrations. Amr ibn Rabi'ah, he was a companion of Zayd. Amr ibn Rabi'ah was one of the first to accept Islam. He came to the Prophet In the fourth year after the call of the Prophet which is relatively early if you consider the private and then public call of Islam. And he told, he was in tears telling the Prophet this story. He says that I was sitting with Zayd one day. And Zayd says to me, Ya Amr, he says, Inni antadiru nabiyan min waladi Ismail. He said, Listen, I'm waiting for a Prophet from the descendants of Ismail. I want you to know I'm waiting for a Prophet from the descendants of Ismail Alayhi He said that he will be on the way of Ibrahim, he will call to Ibrahim, and he pointed to the Kaaba and he said, and he will pray to this Qibla. He will pray in this direction. He has no idea it's Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He says, but I'm waiting for this Prophet. And he said to him, should I live to see him, I will believe in him. I will believe in him. And I will support him. And I will testify that he is a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but he said, I have a feeling I'm not going to live long enough to see him. I just have a bad feeling that I'm going to die before he comes out. Amr was relatively younger. So he said to Amr, If you see him, أَقْرِئْهُ مِنِّي السَّلَامِ He said, give my salam to him. It's beautiful, subhanAllah. He said, when you see him, give my salam to him and follow him. So Abn al-Rabi'ah said, when the Prophet Sallallahu made the call, he said, I went to the Prophet Sallallahu and I became Muslim and I gave him salam from me and I told him, I said, you know, Zayd was sitting with me and Zayd said that, I don't think I'm going to live long enough to see you, but if I do see him, I will believe in him and support him and testify that he's a Prophet. And he told me, if I live to see you, So I'm giving salam to you from Zayd. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave salam back, عَلَيْهِ Meaning he made dua that Allah have mercy on Zayd. Which gives us the answer about saying رَضِيَ اللَّهُ, and رحمه الله and Doing the same prayers that we would do for any companion of the Prophet And he said to him, to Amr, he said, وَاللَّهِ قَدْ رَأَيْتُهُ فِي الْجَنَّةِ يَسْحَبُ He said, I swear by Allah, I saw Zayd in Jannah dragging his garments. He, was, he has a long garment in paradise. Carrying his garment, walking through in Jannah, walking through in paradise. And another authentic hadith, the Prophet said, He said, I entered into Jannah, I entered into paradise, and I saw that Allah has reserved two levels of paradise for one man, for Zayd. That Allah gave him two levels of paradise all by himself. SubhanAllah. the, the, the narrations go on, and, and I think it's befitting that we end with, a, with the eulogy. The eulogy was given, or the one who heard of his death and said these beautiful words about him was none other than his close friend, Waraka, who we'll talk about next week. And Waraka uh, said these, these words of him in eulogy. He said, so, He said, وتركك أوثان تواغية كما هي، وقد تدرك الإنسان رحمة ربه ولو كان تحت الأرض ستين واديا. So I'll go through it. رشدت وأنعمت بنو wa وإناما. You were all together on the right path. Uh, you were all together guided on the right path, O son of Amr, and gained the bounty. And he says تجنبت تنورا من النار hamia. And you saved yourself from the oven of the blazing fire. And then he said, By choosing a Lord who has no equal to him, and by your abandoning of the vain idols as they are. And verily, the mercy of, the, of, of, of his Lord will reach a man. Even if he was sixty layers beneath the earth, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa taala will reach him. Allah taala anhu, may Allah be pleased with him and have mercy on him. Obviously, you know, I think as far as lessons are concerned, uh, the Prophet sallallahu talks about this idea of intuition of the of, of the righteousness of a Muslim. That a soul that is at peace with Allah is naturally guided to the things that are pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa taala. That when the fitra is intact, when, the, when, when a person's natural disposition towards God is intact, that they will naturally find themselves in that worship and in that service. And even though Zayd had absolutely no idea of what was to come after him, but that's the sincerity. You see, what's very prevalent in, in many of these stories that we'll go through is a refusal to be complacent. A refusal to be complacent and to look deeper into society uh, around him and Zayd, thinking deeply and deeply and deeply about theology and becoming the person uh, that he was. So we ask Allah to have mercy op- upon him and to be pleased with him. And uh, b'ithni you Ta'ala, know, we will continue next week inshallah with the story of waraqah, which I'm, which I'm really looking forward to because it's another fa- one of those fascinating stories and you can see the makings of that society, those sparks of tawheed, those sparks of monotheism. That exists before the Prophet وسلم, in that Meccan society and also the fact that the Tawheed of Ibrahim السلام, comes with far more implications than merely worshiping Allah Zaid was guided to protect the young girls that were being buried alive, guided away from zina and khamr, guided away from adultery and from uh, intoxication, guided to all of these good things in a natural way and that is the way of Ibrahim not merely the worship of Allah but the honoring of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with everything else.